John 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given Him all things into His hands, and that He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside His garments, His outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around His waist. Then He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments again and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. For I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate bread has lifted his heel against me. So I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Amen. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of God shall stand forever. Let's pray and ask him to add his blessing to it. Uh, Dear God, there is nothing, nothing, nothing we can do uh, apart from you visiting with us and speaking to us. There's no way we can effectively, adequately, comprehensively understand and explain all these things and and hear the words applied to us individually without your help, your desperate help for us. We need you, Lord, to help us to understand and to live as those who've been washed. Uh, If we have been washed, then what should we do? Help us, we pray, and we will give you glory. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Now, back in 1970, nine years before I was born, um, there was a beach well in Oregon. 
I don't remember this. I don't remember this at all. Maybe you remember it. Um, there's a beached whale. It was a 450-ton whale. I may be off by a factor of 10 there. I have no idea. It's big, massive, beached whale. So what are they going to do with this whale? They, they've got to do something about it. It's going to start decaying, and it's going to get ugly. So they had an engineer decide what they're going to do is they're going to load it up with dynamite on the shore side, not the ocean side, and they're going to blow all the, the whale pieces into the ocean. That's what they're going to do. So they, they load it all up with dynamite, and they've got a, you know, a detonator. How many of y'all have seen this video? Some of you, the infamous exploding whale. Um, they interviewed the guy on camera and he said, I'm confident it will work. The only thing is we're not sure exactly how much explosive it will take to disintegrate this thing so that seagulls and crabs and whatnot can clean it up. So the guy who's on the, on the TV, uh, on the video, wearing a hard hat, told him on camera, we're, I'm confident it's going to work. But it didn't go as they had planned. Um, they, they had moved everyone back quarter of a mile before they blasted this whale into smithereens. But you can see people running as they detonate the bomb as blubber and huge chunks of whale come raining down upon them. Parked cars further than a quarter mile were smashed to pieces by dead whale. No one was hurt but small pieces of whale remains were flicked all over everybody in the area. It was gross. The pieces went into the air, were of all sizes. The piece that flattened that car that I mentioned was the size of about a coffee table. Coffee table size whale. Probably about the size of this table in front of us today. Flattened a car. Uh, a car. The blubber was so dense that a piece as big as the tip of your finger can be like a bullet and kill you. And so the guy said, I'm so happy and so thankful that nobody got hurt, nobody got killed, because <laughs> I don't think this thing would have lasted all these years had it been more, a more serious incident than this. It was, it's, it's funny, now we can look back on it, and the guy was interviewed about it. He recently died. That's why I'm, I thought about this thing, the guy who was there responsible for this. Um, and so they've learned a lot that that's not the way to do it. Um, <laughs> it's not a good thing to, to blow up a whale and hope for it to, to blast all one way. And it was, it was infamous. So uh, that, that video, if you've seen it, you're one of uh, a, a really big club of people. Um, that is the fourth most watched video in the history of the Internet. Fourth most watched. That's, that's kind of cool. All right, so there you go. So they had a, plan, they had a problem on the shores of Oregon they didn't have a good answer for. No solution. Couldn't solve it. It was a disaster. Cars were destroyed. People got dirty. Um, and then think about the cleanup of that. They had a dirty mess on their hands. We have a dirty mess before us, people. We, have, we, are, we are sinners. None of us know what to do with it. None of us know how to adequately deal with that. And we don't really get the significance of actually... Finding Jesus who is the answer to that. And if we did, it would utterly transform our lives forever. It's a beautiful thing. And I, that's, that's the, the proposal today, is that if we really do dig down and, and understand and unpack this, it's going to be enormously 
whale-like proportions for our life. It's going to be enormously helpful for us. Um, you can't walk away from this unchanged. So today may change us. Okay, so we're going to look at three points. We'll get, this is a, a, what Jesus is going to do for his disciples is going to wash them. And so we're going to look at a washing from whom, and, a, and then a washing to whom, and then so does that mean so and so, dot, dot, dot. Alright, so washing from whom. So just four real quick things I want to say about who this washing comes from. Now, the washing, and obviously, if you weren't, if you weren't asleep during that, you heard it was Jesus who washed the disciples' feet. He's the one who loved his people in the world. He loved them to the end. First thing you got to know about Jesus, he loved these people. And he loved them to the very end. He is sitting at the table and he is going to die the next day. And he, and he stands up from dinner, takes off his outer garments and begins to wash the feet of his disciples in order to teach them something. He loved them. Loved them to the end. God loves his people. Don't forget that. That's the first thing. Verse 1 Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You are on his heart and mind when he is dying. When Jesus is dying, that's what he's thinking about. He loved them to the end. If you're in that them category, praise the Lord today. He loved you. Secondly, he's the one who has the power. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So, he has confidence that he has all the power. The Father had given him all the power. And what does he do with the power? He washes his loved one's feet. You know, the, verse 2 says, Judas is there. Satan had entered his heart. And what he could have done, being the one who has all the power, is he could have dispatched some angels and had them take Judas out. He could have publicly uh, uppercutted him and roundhouse kicked him and and destroyed him if he has all the power. Uh, Just thinking hypothetically here, he could have taken him out. But he didn't. He bowed down and and the far greater thing was to wash the disciples' feet so that they could understand exactly what he's doing on the cross uh, the next day. And how to get to that cross. He, He did this. He was not going to eliminate the means that was going to bring him into death. He was going to die for them. He had all the power and he laid down his power or actually took up the cross. A better way of saying it. Um, No one takes the the life of Jesus, but he lays it down freely of his own accord. The first thing, he loved them to the end and he has all the power and he uses his power for love. Third thing, You've got the greatest of all who humbled himself to the uttermost to cleanse his disciples. Look at verse 4 and 5. He lays aside his outer garments, takes up a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, resumed his place. He said, do you understand what I've done to you? He, look back at what we just said, he's the one with all the love and all the power, and he bows down and washes their feet. 
in context, first century uh, extra-biblical documents say that no one would have required even their least favorite servant to wash their own feet, or a master to do that. For A master would never require a servant to do so. And so the master bows down, takes off his outer garments, and starts washing feet of his servants, his friends. It's absolutely unbelievable. The greatest of all humbled himself to cleanse the small. Because he thought they were great. He loved them. Uh, Fourth, finally, about the one whom this washing is from. The one who would wash them would even wash his own worst enemy. His frenemy. Somebody who's supposedly a friend, but is actually an enemy. Judas. Look at verse 10. Second part of it. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For Jesus knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said, not all of you are clean. He washes the foot of the one who's going to sort of take his foot and kind of put it on his neck and try to kill him tomorrow. He's going to bring the soldiers and sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. He's going to wash the same foot that's going to kick him. He's going to wash that. And there's a real sense in which we can all identify with Judas. We can all identify with him. We've all been there. We're supposed to be Jesus' friends, but we act like his enemies. This is the one who washes us. The one who knows we're going to sin against him, betray him, and have sin against him. He washes enemies' feet. The question is, what are we going to do with that? Are we going to turn and, and believe in him? Or are we going to abide in unbelief forever and run from him? That's the question before us. We've all got to answer that. It's a washing from this God. That's who he is. Are we going to continue on in rebellion the rest of our days? Or are we going to turn from our rebellion and love him and begin to wash others' feet? It's a washing to whom? Secondly, a washing from this God who loved them, who has the power, who humbled himself to the uttermost to cleanse those who were low and would even cleanse his own enemies. Okay, that's true. Secondly, it's to whom. Let's talk about the to whom here. First, uh, actually just two things here. Uh, first, to those, uh, it's, this washing is to those who by necessity must be washed. Look at verse 8. Peter said to him, You shall not wash my feet. Never. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Uh, Brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, Jesus says, if you are not washed by Jesus, you have no share with him. You must be cleansed. You must sit and be ministered to by Jesus. You cannot cleanse yourself. You're utterly incapable of doing so. He must, you must let the Lord of the universe bow down and wash your feet. What a command. What a need. You mean, you're telling me I have no ability to do something. Now, every day I walk around knowing I can do anything I want to do. Everybody knows you can do anything you want to do, and the proof of that is Google. You can solve any problem. 
I had a Buzz Lightyear toy I couldn't figure out last night um, how to get the batteries out because he has a complicated backpack. And so it had fake screws. And so I started trying to use a screwdriver on these fake screws and it wouldn't come off. So what did I do? I got on YouTube actually and typed in Buzz Lightyear remove batteries. Some nice man had recorded a two minute video which instructed me on how to pop off the backpack so I get to the battery pack. I can do anything, honestly. I'm not smart in of myself, but I can find the answer, right? And you know you can too. But like, we, like the exploding well, there is no answer here. <laughs> you must be washed or you have no part with him. It's by necessity you must be washed. And so secondly, under to whom this is given, the washing is given, is that we're so corrupted and unclean we cannot wash ourselves but notice the distinction Jesus makes when Simon Peter has a novel idea. Simon Peter says, well, if I've got to be washed, then just wash everything. Just wash everything. But for, for the purpose of the illustration, that was not good. What Jesus was trying to say here is not that I'm going to give you a shower or a bath. He's saying, I'm going to wash the parts of you that are so corrupted and so un, uh, you, you can't reach them. It's like when you've been working out and you're all bowed up like this, you can't get to your back. <laughs> you can't wash your back. You can't get to that spot. That's that middle part. You can't get there. You, you can wash in the shower, get out, and immediately your feet are dirty again. The feet, the, the crud in your feet. You put your shoes on, you've got crud on your feet. Crud, feet are nasty. Ch- I, I wear chacos. I work in campus ministry. I can wear chacos to work. And my feet are disgusting. You don't want to see them? Put the shoes on. Okay, like that's why we put on shoes because our feet are gross. We cover them. You get out of the shower, you start walking immediately, you've got problems again. It's the crud you can't wash. That's what he came to wash. The stuff you can't, you can't help. There's no solution. There is no video. There's no instruction on how to do this. The instructions of how to glorify God actually show you how much you fail. They just say, you're in need. You're dirty. The law of God tells me I need Jesus. And it says I'm cursed if I rely upon the works of the law. If I rely on the works of the law to present myself as holy and blameless and clean, then I am cursed, Galatians 3.1 says. You've got to realize you can't cleanse yourself. And so it's a, this, is, this is a washing from the one who can and has the power to cleanse anyone, and it's to people who are absolutely helpless. Absolutely helpless. Have you found yourself to be absolutely helpless and called out to Jesus and said, rescue me, cleanse me, is the question. So, so, so you're saying that, that, that he can wash me and he chooses to do so and he chooses to do people who are confused. He chooses to wash people who are confused, like Peter, who don't understand that they can't cleanse themselves. People like us, and he does so knowing that people like Peter will immediately deny him three times that night, even, and say, "Oh, I don't even know him." Okay, the one who's washed my feet and who plans to die on a cross for me tomorrow, uh, and and like the one who's going to change my life forever. Oh, I don't know him. Okay, I, I utterly don't know him. How many of us can identify with that? We know Jesus. We know him to be the, the gracious Savior who died on the cross for my sins. 
but then we go around every day acting like we don't know him. Now, the, 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 see, where that happens, we get that, we don't know him, we act like we don't know him at least, and then so we're thinking, well, I've got to cleanse, cleanse myself. I've got to clean myself up so I'll be worthy of him to cleanse me. And so we have this sort of death spiral we're on. Where we think, man, I've got to get better so that I can relate to this Father, to this Jesus. And that kills us. So notice the order of washings here. So the first implication, we've got uh, four or five, let's say, uh, let's say four applications of this on the third point. So, so does this really mean this? Look at the order. Look at verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and, if you, if, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now notice the order. The order changes everything. Um, there's a, one, of my, the, the, the most, one of the most influential comedy series of the last decade was The Office, uh, with, the, with the main character named Michael Scott, and, and, and Dwight Schrute was kind of his number two man. Dwight Schrute was the, just the, the guy in the office that was annoying, and everyone wanted to prank all the time. And maybe you've been there in that sort of a situation where there's a guy who think he, he really is power hungry and wants to lord power over everybody else. And so you just take glee out of kind of making his day a little more difficult. Well, Jim Halpert and Pam Beasley, who are in the office, come up with this amazing prank on, on Dwight Schrute, Dwight K. Schrute. They take, while Dwight's in the bathroom or somewhere, he's not there, maybe he hadn't come into work yet, they take all of Dwight's stuff everything on his desk, his wallet even. I don't know how to get that. They, they take everything he has of value and put it in the vending machine. <laughs> and so he's like, wow, all my, all my stuff's in the vending machine. What am I going to do? So he reaches for his wallet and he doesn't have it. He has no money to buy it back. Okay, so, so <laughs> his wallet is actually under E3. So he has to like find the money to get his wallet back, 75 cents to get his wallet back, so he can start plugging nickels in there to get his stuff. Well, so, you know, Jim and Pam think it's hilarious, and so they, they throw a, a bag of nickels and quarters and dimes at him and say, here, have at it, knock yourself out. So I say that to just bring it back to us here, is that order is very important. Um, we feel like we're Dwight in that prank. We've got to buy back what we already have in Jesus. In other words, we've got to wash ourselves in order to be washed. But what the Bible says here is that I'm going to wash you so that you will wash others. If I've washed you, then wash one another's feet. It's not wash one another's feet or buy your stuff so that you can be in right relationship with God. It's that I've already done it. I've already washed you and cleansed you of all your sins so that you can be the ones who wash others. Uh, the order is everything. We're not plugging nickels into a vending machine trying to acquire what God's already done for us. He's already washed us. That's hugely important. And so if I, as verse 14 says, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So simply, we're to wash other's feet. So, so if, if he's washed you, it really does mean you should wash other people's feet. So first, if he's the Lord, if he's the teacher, if he's the master, he must determine your purpose. If he's the Lord and he's a teacher, where else are we going to go for our purpose in life? The master, Lord, and teacher. That's who we go to. He determines your purpose. He calls you to something greater than self-obsession, which we're all guilty of. Greater than self-obsession. 
We're part of something larger than ourselves. That's what we long for. I'm just reading a book uh, about uh, fraternity recruitment, and, and it's a fictional account of it. And, and, and once those boys are, are initiated into that fraternity, they, they, they say it so well, finally, I'm part of something greater than myself. I've become something greater. Now, if that's for you, that's a fraternity or sorority, or that's a job or a relationship, you kind of find life in getting into something larger than you, something that's historic, something that's a house that's been there at OU for 100 years, an institution, a company that, is, that has a track record of success, and you're a part of that, and you can make it better. Or a relationship, someone who causes you to be to want to be a better man or a better woman. Something bigger than yourself. It's something that gives you life. And so Jesus' order for you is to be about cleansing other people, caring about other people, serving other people. That's the call. And so if, if he has done that, I can start saying yes to service. I can start saying no to my self-obsession. And places I go, I want. I can. I can start to want what's right because I'm part of something greater that He determines. In verse 15, it says, "For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you." Now, I want to just camp out on that word "should" for a second, because when you hear it, you didn't hear "should." Okay, when I read it, you heard. You must. You're required. This is how you live. This is, if you don't do it, you will die. You heard this is what you've got to do. Your requirement is you shall wash other people's feet. Because you don't believe he's a father. You believe he's a slave master. I, believe, I think that also sometimes. And, I, and, I, and that's kind of what I saw this week as I'm looking at it or uh, and thinking through this text, I'm looking at it, I'm, I'm saying, it should. It's advice. It's counsel. It's like when I don't know what to do with my car, I call my dad. I, say, I don't know how to fix this. My shower's messed up. How do I do this? Here's what you should do. Here's what you should do. When you're thinking about investments, you call it somebody who knows, and they say, here's what I think you should do. It should. The word is Should. In the Greek, it means should. <laughs> should. Should. Here's what you should do. If you're wise, you would do this. You'd follow Jesus' example. Because, look, following the example is not, and it never will be, the instrument whereby we're justified or the grounds for our being washed. What we have been called into is strictly by grace, meaning we didn't do anything to earn it. We're forgiven according to His mercy and unmerited favor upon us. He cleansed us by Jesus already. And so we're not trying to re-earn that. The word from Christ is should. This is what you should do, not what you must do in order to, to, to please me and to be in my house with me. You're already in you're already well-pleasing because I've cleansed you. Now this is what you should do. So stop trying to prove yourself every day of your life by trying to follow that example. If that's what you're trying to do, stop it. Rest. 
Otherwise, you're not believing in Jesus. You're believing in yourself. Sacrifice and service should be what we're about. It should be what we're about. If we're working according to our design, if we're, if we're really believing that we're forgiven, we can get over ourselves and stop trying to prove ourselves to everybody, start worrying about, stop worrying about how people see us and start doing the work of a servant, which is not going to give us a lot of recognition a lot of times, and it's going to be a blessing to us. It's what we're made. We're made to be in something bigger than, and greater than ourselves and doing something for the people greater than ourselves. So Jesus here, Note, he is our example. Second point, he's our example. He's the truest human you could ever know. And what's his example? His example is, I've washed you, so go and you should wash others. You should follow my example. What's true humanity is being about service and sacrifice that is humbling to be able to get dirty with people, to be able to take off the dignity and the things that you look to in order to, to lord over and, uh, and get respect from other people, Jesus takes off his outer garments and starts washing feet. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to be respectable here. We're called to be servants who wash. Jesus was not respectable at this table. He was a servant. And he earned respect through service, not his outward appearance and how well he was put together. He was a mess washing crud off the feet of disciples. He was a mess. He was crucified and bloodied and battered and whipped because that was what he was called to do. He took up a cross, and you also should take up a cross. We're not called to look respectable. We're called to serve. Um, Third, knowing Jesus makes us blessed and happy. 17, look at verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you, if you do them. If you start to sacrifice knowing this Jesus, you're going to fulfill your purpose and you're going to be happy. You're not going to be frustrated and unhappy all the time. There's a greater way for you than obsessing about yourself. Start thinking about others, washing other people's feet, looking to serve, and you're going to finally get over yourself. There's going to be a blessedness and happiness knowing Jesus. It says there, blessed are you. In the Greek, that means blessed are you. Okay, like it's there. I, I, I can't, I gotta stop using that one, okay? But it's actually there. Blessed are you. You are blessed if you sacrifice, knowing the example of Jesus and following it. Knowing Jesus. If you don't follow your purpose, you're gonna be frustrated and stressed out all the time and unhappy. Now, sometimes, it's, uh, now I'm not saying, I'm not nullifying the fact that service is hard and frustrating and brings a lot of gray hair and and heartache, and is, and is difficult, but that's what we're made to do. Thinking about somebody else and obsessing over somebody else and helping them to get clean is what we're called to do. And in doing so, we start working according to our design and not against it. And so the, there's a good frustration there. It's that we're working in conjunction with the Spirit of God and His purpose and plan in our lives rather than against it to exalt ourselves in a kingdom. That's, that's, that's a great point, um, one that convicted me this week. Verse 20, look at this. Finally, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one whom I've sent. 
This washing that changes everything is available to everyone who will believe. But you're obligated to receive Him exactly as He has sent Himself to you through the apostles in the Bible that you have before you. See what he's saying there? Whoever receives the one I send receives me. So that means you have to listen to the apostles and do what they say and believe how they tell us Jesus is. You have to believe this is Jesus. You can't just say, I like this kind of Jesus, and I don't like this about him. You have to believe the full message about Jesus from the apostles. If you don't, you haven't really received him, you've you've made up a Jesus. It says, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. You can't know the Father unless you know the Son because the Son tells us who the Father is. You can't pick and choose. Only this Jesus can wash you. There's God, and so you may be frustrated with Jesus, but go back to that sweetness that you taste about Jesus. Go back to the sweetness and let Him change you in all that. All the things that you find hard to believe about this. Keep going back to the sweetness, going back to who Jesus is, and reading His Word and letting Him deal with you. And in do, so doing so, it's like this, this Jesus is sort of like, maybe you won't think of like, a, you might think of him as an acquired taste. You know, take something that's bitter at first, like coffee, and then eventually after you get tired and older and uh, you, you start drinking it every day, then you start to like coffee. You know, but, but otherwise you don't. Um, and no, it's not like that at all. Jesus is not like coffee. Scrap it. Jesus is not an acquired taste. He's a forgotten taste. We're so quick to forget him. We know he's sweet, but then we forget him. We absolutely turn away from his word and forget. Like looking into a mirror and forgetting what we look like. That's the analogy that James uses. Now, you've all been there. You've all forgotten taste before. You find yourself at Thanksgiving remembering just how sweet that is. You forget about it every year, but then it's freshly there. You go to your favorite restaurant, or maybe a restaurant you've forgotten about, you're like, wow, that really is good. I've forgotten how good that was, how good that taste. Maybe it's being reunited with an old friend. You're like, man, we haven't seen each other in five years, but it is life-giving to be with that person. That taste, that sweetness, we recover it. All right? And so what about life? What about dealing with uncertainties? What about being scared, afraid? Knowing God's will for you, um, getting over that self-obsession, it's going back to the one who's washed you, going back to the one who's washed you, um, and, and seeing what he's done. Let me show you uh, a story um, that would, uh, I think, illustrate what, how we would change if we served. Now, it's from the second book of the Chronicles of Narnia called Prince Caspian. There is a mouse in that story named Reepicheep. Okay, Reepicheep, uh, he was, uh, legend has it that he was descended from the mice who gnawed the, um, the ropes off of uh, Aslan when he was uh, bound to the witch's table. And so he's this legendary mice and mouse. And so um, because he was a part of that line, he's now able to talk. And so he's one of these talking animals in Narnia. Well, Reepicheep, um, in the big battle at the end of Prince Caspian, loses his pride and dignity. His tail, his tail is chopped off by some enemy. 
and it's humiliating. So he goes and, and sulks back there. You know, there's all these casualties of this war. And he goes to Aslan and he begs Aslan to restore him. And Reaper Sheep's kind of a jerk. I mean, honestly. No one, I mean, like he, he's mean to everybody. He's pugnacious. He's this, he's, he's got Napoleon complex. He just, he's the shortest guy in the army and he has to prove himself all the time. And Aslan is about ready to deny his request. But then out of the blue, a dozen mice come marching up to Aslan and say, look, if this is what our leader has to endure, if he has to have his tail cut off, we're going to make being a mouse, being about having a tail cut off. And so where do we line up to get our tails chopped off also? Twelve mice willing to follow their leader and having no tail, having to have their, their tails cut off. And so Aslan looks at this and he's like, this man has given, or this mouse has given it all for these who follow him. And he sees that, sees his service, and he has the tail restored. He makes him whole. And so when, when you, you see the connection there is, is, is when you see a servant leader, um, you become a humble servant. When you see Jesus, you become like Jesus. You want to be like him. If that's the path he has to go, I want to be that. And so we're all like the 12 mice in that regard when we really understand this is the one who washes us. But then, our calling is to wash others. Our calling is to be leaders. Those who will get our tails cut off and show other people. We are that kind of people. We are that kind of leader. That's what a church is. And so our calling is to wash others so that we can be an example to compel those we serve to wash others. If you serve... If you fight for people like Reepicheep did, like Jesus did, people or mouses, mice, mouses, would follow you into humility and service. If you get over trying to protect yourself like Reepicheep did, like Jesus did, others will get over protecting themselves. This truth that Jesus washed you is the truth that changes everything. If you have nothing to lose and nothing to prove, others are going to learn how to do that also. You will have a dozen mice following you. Right behind Jesus. If you're following Jesus into self-sacrifice and giving, you're going to have a dozen mice following you. We'll all have a dozen mice willing to go to the hard places because we've been there first and we've shown them the way. We've looked deeply at our hearts and seen a Jesus who can cleanse us to the uttermost. And that's the gospel. That's the grace of God. Let's praise Him for it. Let's pray.